so let's get to it. Anyway. Um, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that has managed in the last few weeks to alienate its three regular listeners. <gasps> I am Max. And I'm JR. Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, it was, it's just been, it's been an interesting few weeks. So, uh, yeah, but we're back. We're back. We're back. This is a, <laughs> I, I worried that people were going to think like I had managed to alienate another co-host and like, I was going to come back and it would just be me like, Hey, hi, what's up? it's just me now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, no, it was just a whole lot of circumstances. So various yeah. nonsense, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, how's it going? Oh, it's going. Uh, things are better now, at least in my realm. So yeah, not a lot to report. Uh, cat things continue to cat thing. Uh, looking for an apartment and such. So yeah. Uh, that's about, that's about it for me. We're good. And yeah. you? Uh, you know, I'm just kind of here. Um, my in-laws got me the Stranger Things Lego set. I saw for... that. It's rad. Yeah, it's it's bitching. The only problem that I had, I had to go to the Lego store to buy piece parts to, uh, because it made so it made me nervous. The the it's a really well-designed set yeah. in that it's like there's the two houses, one in the regular world and one in the upside down, and they snap together using bits and bobs, and then they're held by trees. Yeah. And it's cool, but the problem is there's the two trees, and the bases aren't super huge, and it would be making me nervous under the best of circumstances. Add to that the fact that I've got a five-year-old, and I'm like, this is going to fall. Yeah. This is just going to happen. And so uh so I went to the Lego store. I had bought a a plate, just like a big gray plate to put it on, one of the, you know, things you can buy that's just a big Lego right. mat basically. Yeah. Uh I bought one of those, but it was still just really wobbly. So I went to the Lego store and I bought a bunch of Legos to basically build a third pillar up mm-hmm. to the uh, back. And it's much more stable now. So, but it's awesome because it comes with, I mean, it comes with Hopper and Joyce and then the four boys, Eleven and the Demogorgon. And mm-hmm. then uh, Hopper's truck and yeah, just on and on and on. It's really cool. Neat. Uh took me like three days to put together Damn. <laughs> like yeah it's huge and complicated so but anyway i think it's honestly like the largest set i've ever put together um oh shit so yeah but uh by the end i'm just like am i done yet am i done um but anyway this booklet's so, got yeah. another seven pages and it always has seven pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things you keep having the distance and you, you just never get there. Nope. Um, That's calculus for you. Um, yeah. All right, should we try to sum up some news? Yeah, I mean, it's been a few weeks, so... I mean, there's there's the standard stuff, absolute, or the big Carnage event is coming up, and then 
the uh, now that Marvel owns the movie rights to X Men again, they're going to stop actively sabotaging X Men. So they're doing an event called House of X uh, that is going to be like the big like turning point for X Men going forward. And you know, we were talking before the show. Marvel. Marvel does a really good job at just, like, hyping the shit out of their stuff. Like, they make everything seem like it's the be-all, end-all. And it's okay for sometimes things to just be like, eh. Like, you yeah. know, not everything has to be an earth-shattering thing. Not every... Sometimes it's okay to tell a small story. Yeah. Um, or to tell something that is... That is... A big deal, but only... For a character, you know, uh, yeah, the, like, and I was just thinking, I wouldn't mind, like, so if the if the goal is let's is to bring X Men back to the fore, like that entire side of the house, and like bring it back into the comics for, and so everybody like gives a shit again, um, right. then you don't have to make it a big world shattering like universe melting event how about just like a really good writer and a story he wants to he or she wants to tell with the expert <coughs> and just right. let it be good and then people will be like holy hit holy shit have you seen somebody really good is on x-men again and well, it's yeah, it's awesome. like when Astonishing X-Men was going, and it you had Joss Whedon and then Warren Ellis, and everybody was just like, this book is really good. Yeah. You know? And didn't they... And f- it's okay. Didn't Joss... And then Whedon came back after Ellis, right? I forget. I But it, that book started, when, when Whedon started it, it was a smaller story. It became, right. let's shoot a bullet through the earth, right? right. But like... It didn't start out that way. <clears throat> but even but even so, the bullet through the earth was not was not meant to be a big earth shattering event. It was that supposed was about to be Kitty. big and earth shit sh- earth shattering earth shattering <laughs> for Kitty and for the X Men. Yeah, but in a smaller scale, right? Um, and that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing I think marvel has lost in a lot of this shit is it's okay to just tell like not everything has to be a big cosmic fucking to do well they don't know how to market it any other way right and that's the Uh, problem like it does even if it weren't even if it just were my dinner with andre in comic form um which would be horrible uh but well but if it were character focused centralized like this is a story about colossus for four books and it's just gonna be good like all your other favorite characters are there but this is a story about colossus and they don't know how to fucking market that like well right and and i feel like that's something that just doesn't happen anymore i will i will beat this drum until i'm dead one of my favorite issues is uh, from Peter David's run on X Factor, the issue yeah. where they just sit around talking to Doc Samson. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Nothing happens. There's the obligatory like, ooh, what's going on thing at the end 
where Val gets abducted by tentacles. But the issue itself is just characters sitting around talking about their shit. And it's, and it's amazing. And you just don't have. Yeah. I books like that anymore. I feel like would people might view it as nothing more than just uh, a writer sitting around jerking off. But the thing about it is comics can't be, you know, no. the constant high stakes. You've got to have the small moments occasionally. You've got to do an issue here and there where it's just like, hey, we're just going to kind of, I mean, the te- the the Fantastic Four issue, uh, the Tencent yeah. issue uh, is a perfect example of this. Like, it was it was the issue that got me into Fantastic Four in the first place, and it and it is. There's there's little moments here and there where it's just like action is happening, but those are a backdrop to the character stuff, and we just don't get that anymore. Uh, but anyway, so House of X, Marvel, uh, Marvel put out a tweet in which they said that there they were. They shared an image from the issue uh, wherein Xavier is reading this woman's mind and he finds something he doesn't like, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they said that it is the biggest moment in the history of X-Men. And the writer, Jonathan Hickman, who decided that uh, Marvel was not doing enough to manage expectations, came in and said, you know marketing marketing is ridiculous this isn't the biggest moment in the history of x-men uh this is the biggest moment in the history of marvel and it's just kind of like okay now it has to be like no matter what or else it's going to be a disappointment bro like like and uh, i don't know what you what that what like what are you even what are you saying how like that's such a tall order that I'm I immediately discounted as ridiculous and I'm not even paying attention to you now. Right. Because well, yeah. like what are you what what is your scale then? Like what is, how are you judging this? Like right. what is I don't know. No, that's ridiculous yeah. and I can't and I won't. And Yeah. I hope it's good for you. Uh I would like to see X-Men become good again. I, of course, you know, it's all, it's all relative, but I have, I grew up loving X-Men and I just don't give a shit anymore. And it's not, and it's not the, it's not the standard, like everybody's an SJW now, but it's like, I'm just, I don't care. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I want Chris Claremont to come back and have everybody playing baseball every goddamn issue, but just make me give a shit. Make me give a shit about the characters. I There's... don't care if there are big world-ending uh, things, and I'm not saying it has to be a small cast again. I don't mind. If there's a lot of characters, because it's a school, there's a lot of young mutants around, blah, 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 blah. I don't mind any of that. Just give me, give me something to give a shit about. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, 
I always get that wrong. But Young X Men is that what is that the one that was New X Men? New no, no. It was so. Here, here's the thing. Am I, it was I always miss this New up. Mutants. It was New Mutants. Then yes. it was... Uh, no, it was Gen X, it, then New Mutants. Right? Well, Gen X was a different thing. Okay. That was that was in the 90s. Uh, so it started as New Mutants. Uh, then it became like... Uh, <clears throat> something or other Academy X. And then... After Decimation, they made it New X-Men. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After Decimation. Because yeah. Young X-Men was Donald Pierce pretending to be uh, Cyclops. Yeah. And having him gather together, like, Rockslide, and there was that new guy, Gray Malkin, and Dust, and blah, blah, blah. That was a whole separate thing that ran for, like, 12 issues. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah. And yeah, there were, there were characters in that, that, you know, were interesting and they actually made an effort to highlight them uh, and like spend develop time. Them. Yeah. Spend and, time with them and like develop them as people. And instead of just a power set. Right. And, and that was, and that was one thing that I think Claremont did well. I mean, Claremont has his issues. Sure. I There are a lot of things about Claremont that I'm just like, come on, man. Uh, but there, are, one of the things he did really well was he made the characters such that you actually kind of gave a shit. And so all of the other stuff, the, the Sentinels and Phoenix and on and on and on, that was all you cared about it because you cared about the characters. Right. If you don't care about the characters, none of that shit matters. Right. <clears throat> I don't care if somebody gets killed by a sentinel if all they are is, like you said, a power set. Yeah. Like, you know, if Nightcrawler dies, I give a shit because I like Nightcrawler. Right. I like him. I care about what he's gone through. But if you just make it Hey, I I can I can do this. Yeah, but who are you? Well, I can do this. That's am, not a character. I am Barry. <laughs> so, are you? I am Barry. You don't sound sure about that, Barry. <laughs> Why don't you decide and come back and talk to us? Yeah. Um So yeah, there's that. I mean, whatever. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess Final verdict, it seems, from us is, I hope this is good, but uh, I hope this is good. Okay. Yeah, I I hope it's good, but I don't think that the answer to making X-Men relevant again is an event. I think it's going back, you know, so so many of these things, it's like you've got to... You've got to go back in. You can't just make it about the big world-changing shit. Sure. You have to go back in and break it all down, figure out what it is that works about X-Men. Yeah. Okay? And then you take that and you say, here is a book about the X-Men, and we're going to make you care about them. And then the big event stuff 
follows from that. Yeah. Um, you can do the big events, but people will automatically give a shit because they care about the characters. Well, it's interesting because that's exactly what they did with the movies, but they seem to be having so much trouble with the uh, with the books anymore. Well, well, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. not so much trouble, but some amount of trouble. I mean, there, it, I, I have not been following them closely enough to be able to say every single X book is crap right now. Sure. Um, but, meh. Like, I just don't. I don't care. Um, moving on. Yep. So Stan Lee's former business manager uh, has been ar- was arrested last week for elder abuse, false imprisonment, and grand theft. Uh, the news article I was reading said that there was apparently a an autograph session that Morgan put on uh, that netted like two hundred and sixty two thousand dollars, of which Lee saw none. Um, ah. Stuff like that. So, uh, you know, when we when we talked about this before Stan Lee died, we 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 said that it's probably going to be a while before all the details are known of what happened. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what turns out with that. Uh, if he's guilty, then I hope they string him the fuck up. Not just because it's Stan Lee, but also fuck you. Like No, yeah. No. Like it being Stan Lee does not make this better or worse. It's yeah, literally it's just, don't be this kind of fuckhead, you jackasses. Yeah. Uh like I am not I I don't I don't venerate the elderly just because they're elderly, because some elderly people are shitty. Yeah. Uh but but by the same token, like, don't be taking advantage of the elderly. That's that's like, that's like one step above pedophile, um, in in terms of just like, uh, if there is an afterlife and if it is the heaven hell thing, uh, I hope you get sent to the best part of hell, uh, where where you're just like. It's only... where they turn you inside out and then fuck the fuck the the viscera. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> um it's only always mouthful of bees. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh and then lastly, so since we last recorded uh after Endgame came out and everybody had a chance to kind of process that, they came out with a new Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, which there were things about it. So, you know, we're, there's the whole, like, becoming the new Iron Man thing, um, which a lot of people took to mean, like, he was actually going to take Tony Stark's place, which is just stupid as fuck. But, uh... The other thing that I found interesting is the fact that people, so Mysterio shows up and he's like, I'm from a different earth. And Nick Fury is like, this is Mysterio. He's from a different earth. And people are like, are they introducing the multiverse? And it's like, okay, but it's Mysterio guys. Like, oh yeah, this is a character whose whole thing is he's full of shit. Yeah. That's, that's. I mean, not only that, but also 
why are you trusting this Nick Fury is the other thing that I was like, I, I don't, Nerdist and I have a rocky sort of relationship when it comes to like, God damn it, this isn't new, shut up. But one of the speculation things that they had was that that's not even Nick. It's actually Chameleon. Okay. Um, and which leads even more credence to the Mysterio is full of shit. Because, or they're doing a hard left and he is telling the truth and he's a hero and hooray. Um, but, well, but I don't why... really feel, he. well, I don't really <laughs> see, oh God, what's that dirt? What's the actor's name? Jake Gyllenhaal? Yes. I actually don't see Jake Gyllenhaal taking a straightforward superhero role. I think he would yeah. look at that and be like, eh, there's not a lot here. Yes, but he's lying. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, that could be fun. I... It seems like such a weird thing... If you're a Spider-Man fan, or if you are even, uh, if you are even remotely aware of who Mysterio is, um, it seems weird to see him in a trailer with no information about the movie itself, just knowing who the character has traditionally been, have, see him go, uh... Yeah, like, I'm from another planet, and there's a multiverse, and, like, I'm the good guy, and all this shit, and just be like, yeah, that checks out. Like, well, and I mean, if credulousness we in that situation, when you have a character who, who is, uh, who is, it's like if you had an X-Men movie. And there was a regular-seeming woman in the trailer named Raven Darkholm. You would not look on that, look at that person and be like, "Huh, she seems to be on the level." <laughs> like you know, <laughs> if if it's someone whose whole thing is lying, yeah, like well, Craven, Hunt, I... Craven hunts, <sighs> Goblin throws blondes off of bridges, Mysterio lies. That's well, a fairly straightforward thing. And I was going to say, in in to the Spider-Man character in these movies, like, if a dude shows up, does something half heroic, and then starts telling him that he's from a different plane of existence, or from a different reality, and also an alien, and a magician, a space magician, and Peter is primed to believe all of that. And yeah. that's that's the part of the thing that I'm that I would be the most interesting to see as far as a character is because mm-hmm. he's literally been dead. He's been on another planet. He was part of a galaxy scale war just recently, like last Thursday. Right. The entire universe just came back to life. Yeah. Also, his mentor died. His father figure. Sorry, guys, if you didn't know, it's been four weeks. Go see it. Um, yeah, it's, the spoiler it, ban has been lifted, guys. Deal. I'm sorry. His men, his father Figner died, and yeah, he's totally Plus, ready. To if believe... you've seen the trailer, you know this. Also, the trailer that. makes it clear Iron Man's dead. Like, uh, sorry, 
Um, his father figure is dead. This man, this person is a suppose is a child who is totally ready for another father figure, be that Nick Fury or Mysterio, to come into his life and be like, "No, everything is going to be cool. I got you." And yeah, yeah no betrayal abounds. Yeah. So I think this will be, it'll be fine. Uh, it'll be a movie, and I'll see it. So yeah, I am. I've I've already expressed to you. I am frustrated that the entire cast of Spider-Man got dusted. Yeah. Um, because I think there's a lot of rich story things that could be done if even one character had survived and aged and grown. Um, because I think if, like, if we take this, so the three... The three major relationships in Spider-Man, barring Liz Allen, who's already off doing whatever, um, are Ned, Flash, and MJ. Okay? Um, in terms of kids his age. Because <sighs> with adults, five years would be a big deal. But it's not insurmountable. But when you are under the age of 23, five years is a long fucking time. Right. And that big a difference between you and somebody else can be insurmountable. Yeah. It can, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid, a year is a big deal. Um, and when you're in high school, five years, I mean... That'd be a high school senior hanging out with a middle schooler. Yeah. Um, you know, and so if you had Ned survive and he aged, then you've got Peter trying to maintain a friendship with someone who's on a way different, at a way different point in his life. Ned's in college. He's he's kind of gotten over the loss of his best friend and he's got a whole new life that doesn't include Peter. And now Peter's back. Uh, with Flash, I think you could do something similar to the comics in terms of Flash growing and becoming less of an asshole. But you'd have the added interest of, for Peter, it was literally 20 minutes ago that Flash was being an asshole to him. Flash has had five years to grow and change, and he's now got to be like, look, I'm really sorry, man. And Peter's like, why the fuck should I believe? I mean, I know it's been five years for you, but I still think of you as that prick, you yeah. know, who made my life, who, hell, who called me Penis Parker. Um, or if you did MJ, you could almost have a reverse of what we're dealing with in the reading now with Gwen and Peter wherein years oh, have passed yeah. for her and suddenly Peter's alive just the way she remembers him and on and on and on. So I think there's a lot of very rich things that could have been done that they have passed on just to keep the same cast. Uh, I actually don't think it was just to keep the same cast. I think it was to 
tell a story different than the one you're talking about i i don't say that the one that i'm not saying that the story that you're the stories that you're talking about aren't cool they are and they're interesting and they're they would be worthwhile to explore but i think they basically were like all of that shit like once you start following it down becomes really dark really fast and let's this this is still supposed to be spider-man and it's still be supposed to be for kids so let's just ease our way past it and tell a regular well, i'm not i'm not saying you have to go full like dark with it i'm just saying, I'm just saying emotionally this is all dark territory that you Maybe I would do that with a different character. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I, I find it hard to believe that of a peer group, like they were all dusted. Um, but whatever, you know, fuck it. Um, I just, I think that of all of the characters, I think that all of the characters that they have, there is more to explore there in terms of the gulf between the survivors and the victims than there is with adult characters. You know? Because I think they were trying to do that work already in Endgame. Well, I'm all I'm all I'm saying is so you have you have the you have the adult characters oh, like Hawkeye not. who survived and who went down dark paths but when you once you once you reach a certain age you're kind of who you're gonna be okay regardless of what path you may go down you are essentially who you're going to be right okay so hawkeye post snap did some shit he wasn't proud of and did some shit and is dealing with that, but he's still going to essentially be Hawkeye. Okay. Whereas if you compare who someone is year by year in, um, and even, even Hawkeye is an extreme example. Okay. I think most people, if you, if you had that situation where suddenly everyone, half of the population is dead, but then five years down the line, they're all back again. Um, there would be the standard. So like, what did I miss? Like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't think, I don't think, I think the majority of people, would still fundamentally be who they were before. Okay? That's not the case for teenagers. That's not the case under a certain age. I mean, if you look at if you look at the person I was when I was 20 versus the person that I was when I was 23 even, even when I'm ostensibly an adult, it's still radically different whereas I'm essentially the same person I was five years ago. Okay. Um, a lot has happened in the interim. And if somebody showed up again and was like, Hey, 
what I miss? I'd be like, well, you got a few hours, but I'd still essentially be me. Whereas with, with teenagers and young adults and even quote unquote adults, there is so much radical change that can happen in such a short amount of time that there is a lot more to explore there than I think there would be with someone who is ostensibly an adult. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you'd have to go full-blown dark. I'm not saying it would have to be like, yeah, so then I started drinking real heavy and... Uh, well, see, I don't know how you don't. And cutting. Though, because the you, the world died. Like, the world, no, I under, I understand that. But even, but even if you didn't, you know, I mean, let's let's use flashes because we're not talking about people who just started going to college, right? We're talking no. about people who went through an extreme trauma, like I, I understand the that structural collapse of <laughs> of the world infrastructure, like nothing. Nobody just went to school and got a tattoo and became a different person after they started listening to uh, or whatever the fuck you do in college anymore. I don't know. Right. And like, this is not what happened. These people were fundamentally altered in ways that are not positive. Like nobody became a better person because of this. But, but who's to say they couldn't is what I'm saying. And that's why I'm using flash as an example. You could easily have the snap, at which point Flash goes to a very dark place, maybe. But then in the end, he realizes what a tremendous prick he's been. And, you know, Peter comes back and suddenly Flash is this wholly different, better human being. Because in the comics, Flash and Peter aged together. Peter was there for all of the things even tangentially, that made Flash become less of a prick than he was in high school. In in a situation like this, Peter's been dead. He has no context for any of the changes Flash has been through. Suddenly, Flash shows up, and he's a good person. He's doing charity work. He's, like, working with, I don't know, whatever. He is, in every way, a better person. Yes, he went through that trauma, and maybe he did go to a dark place for a while, but in the end, he realized that, you know, it's kind of one of those things of the snap would have maybe made him realize that everything can be snatched away in that instant, and it is better to be, it is better to show love and compassion to those around you uh, because they may not be there tomorrow. Uh, and as a result, he winds up, you know, developing in the way we're used to Flash developing, um, but without Peter seeing the work that got him there. Right. Peter just c- comes back and flashes this wholly different person who is who bears no resemblance whatsoever to the smug little prick we've seen before now. You know? That's all I'm saying, is you don't even necessarily have to take it to the dark place. Uh, You can imply some dark places, but you don't have to make it be 
a a gritty Gen X uh, like navel gazing thing. It can just be like things have changed. This person has changed. I'm who I was, and I think that's something that's universal to everyone who's gone through puberty as it is um just in a kind of kind of writ large i guess anyway we ought to get to comics because we've been at this for a while Uh anyway i uh i i'm just saying like at the very least i find it hard to believe that they all got dusted and they're all just at the same place that they were previously it smacks of it smacks of i guess story armor to me um but whatever moving on uh so comics mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to be interesting cuz yeah it's been a while we read these a couple weeks ago and uh are just now getting around to talking about them but uh so we start with Master of Kung Fu number 25, which is uh, written by Doug Minch, penciled by Paul Glossy, inked by Sal Trapani, colored by Bill Mantlo, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, so we have, we have the, the, um... It's the tail end of the last time they fought, uh... It was Nazis versus Asian stereotypes. Um, yeah. Shang, er... Fu Manchu was assaulting a base by that was being held by this Nazi who was designing his own uh, nuclear ICBM, and yeah. uh, they ended up shutting down the rocket and taking um, taking control of it. And then I guess I don't know. Uh, Fu Manchu like, escapes. Fu Manchu escapes, uh, and the. This, the English dude whose name I completely forget, like Sir Dennis Nayland Smith or yep. Black Tar, Black Jack Tar. Nayland Smith, his network ends up taking over, like the 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 base. They arrive to take over the uh, Nazi encampment and you know control the missile and all that. Uh, so, food or. Shang-Chi hears a noise in the woods after Smith is done sort of pontificating and just slinks, slinks isn't a nice word, but sneaks away and uh, goes to find... I'd say slink is better than sneak. <laughs> like, I don't uh, Neither is great. Um, and he, he folds into the forest and uh, finds a baby being left, or a baby left on a... Uh, on a blanket with a jaguar about to eat it. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this okay. whole story's so, dumb, and it's I remember it now. It's 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 dumb. This this whole thing, like, it's it's you know, village in the Amazon, and so we are just we're just layering all sorts of terrible racist caricatures on top of each other um so shang chi saves the child at which point the villagers show up and piss are pissed off because uh he had left the child there for sacrifice of some sort 
Yeah, the child was born during a new moon. Oh, uh, yeah. And they consider that unlucky. Um, this is explained to Shang-Chi by a Seafan assassin who is uh, tied up in the village. And uh, so the the villagers are arguing. There's a, there's a group led by the chief who thinks that Shang-Chi is a messenger of the gods uh, sent to make sure that they spare the child. Then there's the chief's rival who's just like, nah, fuck that, let's kill them all. And, uh, and so they decide to put Shang-Chi through a trial, uh, which involves walking on coals, which is like, when it comes to, like, 70s martial arts, like, tropes, I mean... This would be this would be like if if I were sat down by a by a village of of natives who were just like in order to prove your metal in order to prove that you are who you say you are you must eat this cheeseburger and it would just be uh-huh. like yeah no problem like I do this every fucking day come yeah. on bring it walking on coals um, and fighting a bunch of dudes is literally my Thursday yeah, I mean, I was gonna like, do this today anyway, so thanks. Right, like if you really wanted to test Shang Chi, it would just be like, in order to prove that you are who we think you are, you must do the entire tribe's taxes. Like, you or, know, or no, I was gonna say, in order to really test him, is you must become a parfumeur. It's like what? Just, no, I mean, yeah, no, something that's nothing. completely outside his wheelhouse. Whereas this is just like you must be able to deal with pain and then kick the shit out of a lot of dudes, and it's just kind of like, yeah, I know you don't know who you're talking to, but like this is really funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so anyway, so it, he ends up the chief ends up getting killed at some point during the thing, uh, but but. Shang-Chi does what he says he's gonna do and walks over coals. There's another test that I don't remember, and then he kicks the shit out of a bunch of dudes. Uh, he has to walk through a gauntlet protecting the child uh, oh, yeah. while villagers hit him with clubs. Like, sure. that's that's literally it. And sure. it's just kind of like, oh, look, the martial arts man is has to deal with getting the shit kicked out of him. Like, whoop-de-fucking-do. But, so, uh, at the end of it, they basically refer him revere him as a god uh he raises them up and is basically like i i'm not a god rule yourselves bye he grabs the siphon guy and says and they all leave oh the siphon the kid uh yeah with his mom the siphon thanks him for getting for his freedom by immediately trying to murder shang chi uh, which gets him thrown off a cliff, which is funny. That's the funniest thing that happens the whole goddamn week. It yeah. well, maybe not the whole week. I don't remember, but like, it's definitely in this issue because it's just a panel of the blade low and Shang Chi in the background, and then a panel of a cliff, and then a panel of the guy falling off the cliff. <laughs> and yeah. It's just it's the most Looney Tunes shit in this whole issue, and I. Yeah, I like that. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he shows back up at the plane uh, with Smith and Tar and sa- and they're like, hey, we were about to leave. 
And he's like, great, let's get on the boat or get on the plane. Yeah. So they all go home. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. Not not the best Shang-Chi story that we've seen so far by no. any stretch. Whatever. Uh, Avengers, number 139, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by George Tusca, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Irving Watanabe. Um, Wasp is still in the hospital. Um, Iron Man and Moondragon uh, are like, you know, Hawkeye should have been back. I mean, he's using a time machine. He shouldn't have been gone (laughs) indefinitely. He should have been like right back. Uh, So they go to see what's going on with him. Uh, But then like in the course of things, so for a while now, Whirlwind has been obsessed with Wasp and has been working as Wasp's chauffeur. Um, unbeknownst to Wasp or Hank Pym. Um, so in the course of this, uh, Whirlwind busts into the, ho- into the hotel hospital to try and do something to Wasp. I don't know if he's going to try and kill her or abduct her and make him his or what. Whatever Whirlwind is going to try and do, he tries to do it. Uh, but Yellow Jacket, Yellow Jacket stops him, and they uh, they have a fight. Yellow Jacket goes to use his science pistol, and Whirlwind's like, "Oh shit!" And uh, Yellow Jacket's like, "Wait a minute! It's not common knowledge as to what this gun can do." And that's when Yellow Jacket finally puts it together that Whirlwind was the chauffeur. Blah, blah, blah. They're able to defeat him. But uh, in the course of things, <sighs> Yellow Jacket still has the shit in his bloodstream that has prevented him from being able to change size. But he changes size anyway because he's a dipshit. Uh, and so he collapses. Uh, which brings us to Avengers number 140, which is colored by Petra Goldberg and lettered by Charlotte Jetter. Uh, he passes out and, uh, he's like on the, on the street outside the hospital, just growing out of control. Uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch are like, eh, we should go home. And so they do, which is when they now show up. Um, and Beast is like, I can do something about this. So he goes back and tries to break in to the brand corporation but of course, you know, they're like, oh God, a, br- a blue thing. Um, but he manages to get a hold of it, works up a formula, which he then gives to Vision, who goes inside of Yellow Jacket the way Pym once went inside the Vision, hootie hoo. Um, and he puts it directly, like he takes it into. Hank's heart and releases it there so it will get directly into his bloodstream. Yellow Jacket is cured and he is able to uh, return to normal and ostensibly I guess now his size changing powers are back but uh, no sooner does this happen than the doctors come out and they're like she's awake and everybody's like hooray. Um, 
I don't know. This this I feel like is kind of a it's a good opportunity for Beast to show his worth to the team. Uh which he did some last time. But here he's just like I'm not just a furry blue guy who's strong and can like claw stuff. I also have a lot of uses in the day-to-day stuff like, you know. And so yeah, well, and I, like the team as a team really needed a molecular biologist or because beast thing like okay so tony's thing is i'm good at mechanics right? right tony's an engineer yeah he can he can maybe fake his way through some of the other stuff yeah but by and large he is i build shit yeah i build shit i and whereas hank has always been at least in my mind, he's been the I science the shit out of this. Like, right. whatever that means, like, as a ver, it means nothing. But, like, I do. I do the weird stuff. Like, I, right. you need a formula, you come to me. You need a. You need research done on why all the mutants are gone, you come to me. But, like, and how do we reverse something, you come to me. But, like, this is. This is a good niche. And. It's well, nice it, to see him fill. And, and it's get one to start that, filling it. It's one that isn't always filled. Because Yellow Jacket and Wasp are kind of all over the place. It's like, whether or not they're going to be on the team day by day, who the fuck knows? Because they, they leave, they come back, they leave, they come back. That's fine. But with Beast here, you have a member who is ostensibly here to stay for the time being. That can do that stuff. So he and Hank can work together when they need to. When Hank and Wasp fuck off to do whatever, Beast is still there and can handle that shit. So it's it's good. It's good. Uh, Um, Throughout the course of this, the only other thing, like, also Beast-related is some woman shows up at the doorstep of the Avengers Mansion and is like, tell me he's here. And they're like, no. Uh, yeah. Jarvis, Jarvis is like, no, he's not. He's not here. Well, then I'll wait. And she sits on the porch to pout, which yeah. we know is that woman from his books that I think he left in Canada. God, I don't remember. Do you mean his his former girlfriend from X Men? No, I mean because from... it's Patsy Walker. It is? Yes. Okay. Surprise! Yeah. Um, During Beast's time as in Amazing Adventures, when he was at the Brand Corporation, there was the the, uh, security guy whose wife was Patsy Walker, who had been doing the... Right. Like, romance modeling books back during the 50s and shit like that they now bring her in um to beast storyline what's gonna wind up happening because i remember this uh specifically from later uh she shows she shows up at avengers mansion and attempts to blackmail uh beast into getting her on the team and she becomes hellcat um like next issue or no I just googled it real quick. It's 144. Yeah. So, so it's it's in fairly short order, but yeah, she blackmails Hank into 
trying to get her on the team and she becomes Hellcat. Uh, I don't know if she makes any sort of mark with the Avengers, but she becomes a defender. Um, oh, okay. I mean, so. I wanted somebody to take over the Greer role. I liked the cat. Man. Yeah. Man, why did that book decide to go complete batshit bonkers? It wasn't doing very well. All right. Okay. So. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're kind of a little early, but let's go ahead and take a break so we can get into Captain America. Into him. Yeah. All right. So back in a minute. Prime, so I'm going to save the day because I'm fucking Optimus Prime. Yeah. You know, Primal is interesting because he's like, this is outside my depth. I am dealing with shit I should not be dealing with, but I'm the only one who's here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Captain America. Yeah. So, weird run of Captain America this week. Um, we start with Captain America number 184, which is written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Herb Trimpey, inked by Frank Giacoyam and Mikey Esposito, Colored by George Russos and lettered by Tom Orzakowski. Uh Cap is on the warpath looking for Red Skull um, because of what he did to Roscoe, which, all right. Okay. I mean, I I know it's one of those things. I know he's angry on principle and that's it. Yeah. It's not because he actually gives a shit about Roscoe specifically, because uh, who the fuck would? <laughs> like, I feel like... I feel like if Roscoe's mom came across Roscoe's dead and desecrated body, <laughs> uh, she even she would just be like, well, nobody should go through that, but, oh, well. So, <laughs> you know. Um, he, so Red Skull, sorry. He, Red Skull lure, essentially lures uh, Cap to a warehouse and... Pops up on a screen and is like, I ruined you. I, lu- I lured you here. I'm going to start murdering people. Um, we. We, because I'm Red Skull, that's what I do. Uh, oh, man, I forget what the hell happened here. Like, the inciting incident is... So, he he tells Cap, like, I have plans. I'm going to completely destabilize the U.S., and so he gives Cap just enough to go on, basically. Uh, so Cap Cap goes to the Capitol, um, and there's people out, like, you know, protesting or rallying or what have you. And basically a lot of it is down to, like, people are really excited Cap is back. Uh, everybody thinks... Everybody's not really sure what to make of his having left because they don't know the details. But generally speaking, people are excited he's back. When uh, this car pulls up and this dude gets out who's got like a meeting at the White House or whatever. And it turns out he is a member of the Federal Open Market Committee uh, who then gets murdered by the Skull who shows up and is 
does his obligatory skull shit. Uh, he blasts um, him in the face with some gas, I think. It's either a gas or a ray or a powder. It's a, it's a powder. Yeah. I think it's powderized because that seems to be the case with this shit. But And it's, yeah, basically he, it turns his turns him into a red skull and desiccates the body. Uh, mm-hmm. Skull goes to escape on a jetpack. Uh, both Falcon and Cap grab onto him. Uh kicks him he manages to kick off uh cap so falc goes after him to save him red skull comes back and threatens you know he's gonna kill another guy another judge at midnight tonight right and he uh here's here's when we you know you better go protect him okay yeah fine and red skull manages repeatedly to kill a couple dudes the third one is this guy, Admiral G. Lawton Sergeant, um, that they're protecting. When suddenly, like, the lights go out and uh, the dude gets murdered. Uh, again, powder, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> it turns out, they never expressly say it. <clears throat> it turns out that Falcon did it. Uh, that was Engelhart's oh, yeah. intention in this. It's never expressly stated, but that's the way it plays out because it's literally right under Cap's nose and there's no way Red Skull got close enough to do it. It was Falcon. So... Uh, they don't ever say it specifically. We get, like, the reason why or how he, yeah, would have been Because it's his pipe. It's like they dosed his pipe and then he goes to smoke it and that's what causes him to die. Um, But, or no, that's the next guy. My bad. This guy, it was just the lights go out, they come back on, he's dead, and it was Falcon who did it. The pipe is in the next issue. So, cap number 185 is penciled by Frank Robbins and Sal Bashima, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Stan Goldberg, and lettered by Tom Morzikowski. Cap has nightmares about Red Skull and about various shit. Um, then we cut to Red Skull, who is raging uh, through his base. And the the reason for the rage isn't Cap. Like, things are proceeding as planned with Cap. What he is raging about is Gabe and Peggy seem to be getting closer. And he's just like, Nine! This will not be allowed! Um, which, alright. <laughs> you know, he's a Nazi. So, I, I get it. But then he recounts how he survived his last encounter with Cap. Who cares? It's a comic book. He survived. That's all that matters. Um, you know, in the Silver Age... It's always some bullshit is what it comes down to is, you know, nowadays things attempt to be somewhat more realistic, even in comic books, even in superhero comics. So when they when somebody survives, there's always like a, well, this is how and like it actually matters. Whereas in the Silver Age, it largely comes down to uh you thought he died, but then some bullshit happened, and now he's not. Yeah, he didn't like, die. Um, like, and we get more of that here later in this week. Yeah, but uh, so 
Cap and Falcon are protecting another member of this free market who gives a shit. Uh, and uh, the Skull's forces attack. They they stave off um, the force the skull's forces, but Gabe and Peggy are kidnapped. Um, and when the guy goes to light his pipe, it's full of the red skull powder, and he dies. So then we get a brief vignette in which Sharon is hanging out with Dave Cox, the uh, injured veteran. And I really, so it's like, as a reader who is like following the story of Cap and Sharon, my inclination is to hate this guy, even though I don't really care about Cap and Sharon. And even though like, whatever, but it's still just like, I feel like I should hate him on principle, but he makes it really hard in the course of this story. Through it, there was uh, a yeah, there was a brief thing in the previous issue too, where they also had Dave show up and hang out with Sharon after Cap decided to go back to being Cap, um, yeah, and or told her about it, and he uh, <laughs> he is really sympathetic in that you're just like, I mean, he's not doing anything untoward. He's just hanging out. Right. She's coming on to him, kind of. She's really just... He's a shoulder to cry yeah, on. Yeah, she's having... Yeah. She's but having like a hard time you, of it. They you are, can see where they're taking it. And it's As not, far as that goes. But neither of them um, are, like, pushing. Like, these characters right. are not pushing for it. They're... The writer... This is Engelhart, right? Which yeah, this is he's, rare. He's telegraphing. He's it telegraphing it, but he's he's allowing it the space to just you see what I'm doing, right? And yeah. everyone, I'm not forcing anybody to do like none of these characters are acting out of ordinary. It's just like this happens, and it's okay. Right. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, and yeah, so. uh they hang out and Dave is Dave is feeling like he's attracted to Sharon, um, which is the first time we really get an overt mention of like, this is the direction we're heading. Um, so we cut back to Skull and he's like bitching to <laughs> bitching to Gabe and Peggy about interracial relationships <laughs> and uh, and he's like trying to torture them and generally just make them suffer for having the gall to be attracted to each other. Um, Cap and Falcon are out looking for the skull when the president of Roxxon shows up, uh, apropos of nothing, and is just like, hey, I owe you for uh, saving my life. The Red Skull has a, has a safe house here. We're even and takes off. So Cap and Falcon bust in, uh, and Cap is beating the ever-loving shit out of the skull. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things was uh, was Twisted Toy Fair Theater did a thing because uh, Cap in Twisted Toy Fair Theater has serious PTSD, like <sighs> just all the time. But like, it's played up 
it's played up in a way that it's not like serious PTSD. It's it's just like he he loses it. And so there was an issue at one point where he's wailing on the Red Skull and the Red Skull keeps surrendering, but he still just keeps beating the shit out of him. Right. Uh, this is kind of like that. But then uh, out of nowhere, uh, Red Skull's just like, it's time! At which point Falcon uh, suddenly clocks... Steve from behind and Red Skull is like, yes. Ha, 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 ha. Um, so that's where we leave things. Um, Captain America number 186 is written by Steve Englehart and John Warner, penciled by Frank Robbins, colored by Michelle Wolfman and lettered by Dave Hunt. Uh, Red Skull. So Cap comes to and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Red Skull reveals that Sam Wilson uh, has been his creature from the get-go. Um, that when Red Skull had the Cosmic Cube, he took this criminal named Snap Wilson and turned him into what he thought Cap would look for in a partner. Um, it is worth mentioning here, There are people who will try to say that Snap Wilson, prior to this, was a pimp. Now, he does dress in a stereotypical black exploitation way, which is, it looks like a rifle was loaded with clothing by a blind person and then fired at him. But all he says is he worked for the mob. There is no indication that he was trading in flesh. It's just something people assume based on the way he's dressed here. Um, but so um, he reveals that everything that Cap went through on the island with Sam was all orchestrated by the Red Skull. Um, and so he uh, makes Falcon fight Cap. Um Gabe and Peggy, meanwhile, have secretly escaped and send out a distress call. Um, and this is where we first get the... F Up until now, they've been very close. But this is the first time we've gotten an overt, like, they are clearly in love. Um, so we, we have a brief vignette back in Virginia where Dave Cox shows up at Sharon's house and he's just like, hey, I'm leaving. And this is why I say, Dave, you, as a reader who is ostensibly supposed to be invested, maybe someone else reading this is. Personally, I don't give a shit because it's kind of like, whatever. Um, she kind of feels like a silver medal uh, for Peggy, almost. Like, Cap wakes up and Peggy's like crazy and old and he's just like, all right, well... Here's somebody that reminds me of Peggy and and certainly the movies bear this out because they're like setting him up to be with Sharon. And then the minute the minute uh, Endgame comes along, he's just like, well, bye and goes back in time. Uh, but which you have to think. So does that mean he raises Sharon like Peggy was always very, very, a very big force in Sharon's life in the Marvel movie continuity 
So does that mean Cap is now... We're not doing this. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so Dave comes in and he's just like, look, you are at this point in time with Steve. It is not right for me to hang around given that I feel myself getting more and more attracted to you. This is not where I need to be. Yeah. You know, and it's a it's a it's a. A class move on his part. Um, he could be the what I call the toxic nice guy and just hang around waiting for her to dump her boyfriend so he can move in. But he doesn't. No. Nope. Uh, so cool. Way to go, Dave. Um, so Cap defeats Falcon and there's a moment where he's just like, should I use my shield to cut off his head? <laughs> um, and it, But he doesn't, obviously. Um, at which point some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents show up and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, some random troops show up. That's my bad. I was misreading what I had here. Um, and clean up the Skull's forces. The Skull escapes and the Falcon is left in a coma. Um, so I was reading something about, um, Engelhart here Engelhart, as I've as I've told you, he has the story what I call the story grenades, where he he doesn't really think thing think through what he's going to do with something, or think through how somebody else is going to deal with something because he's getting this is his last issue. Uh, he he basically just tosses this out and he's like, the next guy can figure out what to do with it, <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, when he was asked at one point whether Skull was telling the truth about all of this or whether Skull was fucking with them or what, uh, he's like, yeah, I didn't really think that through. He's like, if I'd stayed on the book, maybe he would have been, maybe he would have, uh, maybe it would have been true. I don't know. I will say, based on... Falcon's first appearance, I'm inclined to say it's categorically true. Simply because... His presence uh, on the island is so random. It's so fortuitous that yeah. I feel like Skull, who has the Cosmic Cube, that's a fairly big opening to leave your enemy. Um... So I yeah, I'm inclined to say it, it tracks with what we've seen before. Um but I don't I don't know whether or not Engelhart ever intended it to be true, we'll never know. Um So that brings us to cap number 187 which is written by John Warner, John Warner, inked by Frank Chiaramonti, colored by George Russo's and lettered by Charlotte Jetter. Uh Cap and his friends gather around Coma Falk uh, when Cap is like grabbed uh, by this ship, taken out and dumped in a maze. Um, and this is this is such a weird aside and I hate it so much because it's just like in the middle of this big storyline wherein it's just like, Cap's best friend is not on the level. Like, it's just kind of like, okay, so we're going to 
tear ourselves away from this for an issue while we go deal with some weird villain of the week bullshit. Well, and I think it's definitely a, uh, it really feels like we have to go figure out what the fuck we're going to do with this. Cause, yeah. um, shit. And yeah. so, okay. How about instead he goes and fights the Druid in a maze for a couple issues just to give us some time. And everyone's like, that seems dumb, but yeah. we don't know what else to do, so go ahead. And yeah. uh, that's pretty much what happens. It is. It's filler. It's it's stupid bullshit filler. Uh, but... I mean, I think I've, I feel like I ran it down pretty well. He fights the druid at the center of a maze. Yep. Yep. And then, like, at the end of it, uh, there's a thing called the Alchemoid that shows up. Yes. Who cares? Captain America, number 188. Uh, the one bright spot in this is that it's pencil. this issue is penciled by Sal Bushima. Uh, it is inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Don Warfield, and lettered by Irving Watanabe. Cap fights the Alchemoid. Who cares? Uh, Sam Wilson is in the hospital uh, hallucinating. Layla Layla Taylor is brought in by S.H.I.E.L.D. who uh, proceed to interrogate the shit out of her. Well, like, and their their first plan is, like, put her in front of him and maybe something will happen. And she's like, he's in a coma, you fucking idiots. And they're like, fine, if you're going to be like that, let's go to an interrogation room for the next two days. And that is clearly what is happening. And it's just, oh, maybe... this is very maybe we're the baddies because uh, well that's yeah not the way you should behave uh, and we we slowly find out why but again who gives a shit uh so cap fights cap fights who cares um yeah Gabe man and Peggy, this alchemoid fight is so dumb this entire thing is so dumb the druid's whole shtick is stupid as fuck and I do not care about any of this um maybe you will dear listener but I doubt it (laughs) because it's the druid story is not strong enough to feel like a worthwhile diversion from the falcon storyline oh yeah I have much more I feel much better reading this book like I feel like I'm having a better time reading this book when I'm following Peggy and Gabe around and yeah. they go back up to the helicarrier to find Fury's not there, and that it's Jeff Cochran in charge now, because Fury's... Who is... Who is co-director? Yeah, he's supposedly, like, Fury's, uh, like, not second, but, like, peer. He He is this dude we've never seen before, who's just like, yeah, I'm on the same level as Fury, and it's just kind of like... Are yeah, you but now? are you? Uh, it's this guy, Jeff Cochran, and he's an asshole. Uh, and Peggy and Gabe are rightly just like, you are really fucking this up. Like, what's the end game here? And Cochran's like, I'm just trying to find out how much and who knew what and when and what's going on. And it's just like, all right, dude. But like, yikes. Um, At the end of it, 
uh, Cochran puts together a team uh, led by uh, somebody that I'm supposed to recognize, Eric Koenig, Eric Koenig, who I guess and, I do kind of remember him. And, yeah. uh, and Val. And Val is there, and I think Gabe and Peggy might be. And uh, they figure out where the druid is, uh, send in an assault team, and you know rescue Cap. Uh, yeah, Druid gets away, but who cares? I mean, like this is a, this is not one of those villains that I'm just like, uh oh, what kind of mischief can he get up to while he's on the loose? It's more just like the Druid got away, but like I mean, when he showed up in this issue, it was very the Druid, and it, you remember me, and even Cap's like, yeah, you are annoying as hell. Can we get this done with? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. When even when even when even the hero of the book that is pushing this character on you is I mean, this is a guy who treats Batrock when he shows up as like a legit threat. And yeah. I love Batrock, oh. but it's like Cap versus Batrock, come on. Um <laughs> this when, 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 essentially when someone alchemist. who treats Batrock as like a legitimate like threat uh is just like man you're gonna waste my time with this you know it's bad um but so cap takes off and he's just like gotta get to falcon uh so that that brings us to cap number 189 which is written by tony isabella inked by frank chiaramonte uh colored by diane bushima and lettered by karen mantlow uh, Cap tries to go and visit Falcon, but he's stopped by Eric Koenig, and Cochran tells uh, Cap that he's like, so we think we figured out what to do about Falcon. Basically, you've got to fight him to the death. And Cap's like, was it, did the doctors say this? <laughs> and, nope, get in there, bud. And yeah, he kicks him so. in the into the arena. They kind of lock the doors. And this is Cochran and Koenig, right? Who, yeah, throw them in there. They basically and start messing with Cap's head so that he sees Sam as other things these fought in the past, or giant monsters, or whatever. And eventually, Cap's kind of in a bad place, so he starts punching the shit out of what is Sam Wilson, and. Uh, or Falcon, and he's like trying to figure out who's messing with his brain. And Cochran's on the radio over the arena, like, "No, don't let up. You got to keep hitting him." And then a whole bunch of other people show up, and they're like, "No, keep hitting him." Uh, finally, yeah. after a whole bunch of nonsense, it's reveal or. Falcon starts to kind of come out of it. Meanwhile, Val and Koenig are up in the control room with Cochran being like, this is fucking stupid, what are you doing? And start to try and wrestle control away from Cochran. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, Cap or Falcon starts come, kind of coming out of it. They punch each other some more. Uh, Val and Koenig overpower Cochran. And then... Blah, 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 blah. Like, really, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's so a, much it's blah, blah, blah. blah. Finally, finally, we figure out that the reason all the men in S.H.I.E.L.D. are acting stupid 
and trying to uh, get Cap killed is because it's Nightshade from forever ago uh, who is that was she she, had she was a cat an villain. army of werewolves yeah and in a castle the last time we saw her she and all of her army of werewolves were diving off of the the parapet of this castle and presumed dead yep and okay yeah fine so cap number 190 is inked by vince coletta colored by michelle wolfman and lettered by dave hunt uh starts out with um nightshade essentially explaining her plan and uh yeah and she explains how she survives but again it's just she just seemingly died but then some bullshit happened and she didn't uh so she's got all of the the male shield agents the, under her control about the way that she escaped that i think is just oh god heartless and gross and funny is that so she had underneath her castle where she jumped off she had like this secret passageway that opened to a water or you know like a reservoir down below that she swam through but then so all of her werewolves followed her off and then she closed the closed the gap in the rocks and she describes it as hearing them she describes hearing all the bodies hit the hit the rocks yeah but who cares um they there's a whole bunch of like um there's a lot of bullshit with like the shield agents using their very various technology we get a couple of like throwback shield things like the flying wedge which were not exactly the best parts of the old Nick Fury agent of shield stuff. Like they should, they showed up back in the day and I'm like, like, I get what you're going for, but this is really dumb. Um, but, uh, so in the course of this Falcon is trying to reconcile. He has memories. He has both the memories of snap Wilson and the memories of Sam Wilson. Um, and so he's trying to like make sense of all of them, but uh, in the course of things, basically what happens is Val gets on the on the um, on the PA and is like, "Get them all to this spot." And so Cap and Falcon do it, at which point she throws open. Uh, all of the shutters on the helicarrier, which floods the entire area with light. Um, and apparently, as we discover in this, Nightshade's powers only work when it's dark. Um, at which point, Nightshade, out of ideas, is just like, uh, if you let me go, I'll fuck you. And Cap's like, no. no. And she's <laughs> just like, worth a shot. Uh, but then at the end of this, Falcon's just like, I I have to reckon with the deeds of my past. And so, um, yeah, then we get a we get a brief aside with some bullshit in Ghost Rider, uh, which Ghost Rider number 12 uh, is written by Tony Isabella and Frank Robbins. 
penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by Frank Giacoya and Mike Esposito, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Karen Mantlo. Um, I don't, like... The early issues of Ghost Rider are not super stellar, but I hate this version of Ghost Rider right now because he's basically just a dude with a flaming head. That's it. Uh, Doesn't he have the... He can still shoot the fire, right? A little bit, but like... Uh, But he he definitely comments about how much weaker his connection to any of the satanic stuff is. Yeah, and so ultimately, like... Most of the Ghost Rider book right now is him relying on his stunt writing, and I just don't give a shit. Uh, this issue is, has to do with Johnny happens across an old man who's being chased by what appears to be a phantom plane. Um, it turns out that the old man is a former... So he was in World War One working for the Kaiser... Uh, his name was Hermann von Reitberger, and uh, he he presents this story of his going up against the Phantom Eagle, who we've seen before in the comics. The Phantom Eagle was a German who defected, but had to fight the Kaiser in, in disguise uh, because his parents were still in Germany, which is an interesting setup. Like, I'm on board for that part of things. But um, what's interesting here is... It's just weird that anytime we see the Phantom Eagle, it's like, he's already dead, or it's it's in a different reality or hulk traveled in time. Like, we never get to see the Phantom Eagle do Phantom Eagle shit. It's just... Well, because he died in World War I. I suppose Um, that's true. But, you know, it's comics. Like, who really stays dead other than this guy? <laughs> um, so, Reitberger uh, tells this story about how uh, he and the Phantom Eagle were constantly, like, vying for supremacy of the, of the uh, air. And that at one point he managed to... Um, he wound up having a dogfight with the Phantom Eagle, which led to him killing it. Um, but Herman's like, you know, I've accepted that, or I've, I've spent my entire life trying to run from it. He's like, I'm an old man. I'm tired of running. I just want to see my grandson one more time. Then I'll just let him kill me. So... Johnny gives him a ride to see his grandson. The grandson, Joel, is a big World War I buff, uh, and he's working on a book about fighter pilots. But Joel, like, is trying to talk to his grandfather about Phantom Eagle and everything um, when the Phantom Eagle attacks. Uh, Johnny turns into the Ghost Rider uh, because the sun goes down. But... Uh, he he's having a hard time stopping the Phantom Eagle. Phantom Eagle tells Ble- Johnny what actually happened, which is that he was tra- he was in Germany trying to smuggle his parents out when uh, he wasn't even in his plane. He was getting into his plane when Reitberger dropped in out of nowhere and shot them all to shit. Um, 
Johnny's like, that sucks, and I hear you, but this is still maybe not the best way to handle it. So he tries to stop him. Um, so basically, and we're immediately told as an audience that Phantom Eagle's version of events is definitely the truth, because meanwhile, back at the hangar, Reitberger is badgering his grandson to get him into a plane so that he can go hunt this motherfucker down again and prove that he's the world's best flying ace. Uh, and you're like, oh, so you're comic comically evil. Hooray. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, it's so annoying. But in the he end, takes to the sky, but then he crashes into the hangar and dies. So... Also destroying his grandson's, lighting the hangar on fire, destroying his grandson's work, which is fuck just, you, Joel. Yep, <laughs> um. <laughs> which is essentially like okay. So next issue. Uh, so Ghost Rider number thirteen is written by Tony Isabella, penciled by George Tuska, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Irene, Irene Vartanoff, and lettered by Irving Watanabe. Johnny is, uh, Johnny reverts to human form, even though the sun is not up yet. And he's like, what the hell? Which this whole thing annoys me even further because Ghost Rider is becoming less and less of a curse and more like just a thing that happens sometimes. But now he's even able to control like it only happens when it needs to not just because it's dark yeah and it's just kind of like oh so then why do we care like yeah um ghost rider johnny basically is like well uh that's done and your hangers on fire i gotta make a phone call and he goes and makes a phone call to Hollywood to try and get in hold of the Stuntmaster because what else are we going to do? And uh, then leaves. I, yeah. I, the thing that's galling is that my hero essentially does nothing to help this man and his on fire life's work. Burning livelihood? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his life's work on fire. He just leaves to go to Hollywood and run stunts and my fa- my favorite part of all of this is when johnny is thinking about why he reverted to his human form even though it was still dark out he's like huh i've been using my powers to help people lately so maybe i'm being rewarded for being such a good person he thinks even after leaving that dude's home to burn <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. So he goes to Hollywood and uh, finally gets a chance to talk to Stuntmaster, who hires him. We have an appearance by Karen Page, because why the fuck not? Um, but he starts doing this stunt on the show when he is when suddenly Karen Page is grabbed by the trapster. And this is, this is why it annoys me so much that... Johnny is so utterly depowered and toothless is because it's the fucking Trapster. Like, this Trapster v. Ghost Rider should be a fairly one-sided fight. It should be like, I have traps, I have gadgets, 
glue gun. And then Ghost Rider's just like, I can make you relive every bad thing you've ever done and then set you on fire. And that should be it. Like, Trapster should just be like, oh, I appear to have peed myself. <laughs> yeah. Please take me to jail. <laughs> like, but instead, it becomes a thing. So, Johnny changes to Ghost Rider, and he fights the Trapster, and blah, 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 who gives a shit. Uh, Trapster is still no match for Ghost Rider, which really does not <laughs> say much for Trapster whatsoever. Um, but he's defeated, and then he just, like, his gravity discs go wonky, so he starts just floating away. Which is the um, only reason we're reading this right now. Yeah, it's... this is the only reason, is because Trapster shows up in the next issue of Cap, fresh off of this, and so, yeah. Um, but Johnny changes back to human form, and he and Karen... Uh, have a moment, and that's that. So lastly, this week we get Captain America number 191. Uh, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. still have a couple issues of Master of Kung Fu. Dumbass. Okay, so anyway, uh, Cap number 191 is written by Tony Isabella and Bill Mantlo, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by D. Bruce Barry, colored by Janice Cohen and lettered by Karen Mantlo. Uh, Cochran tries to arrest Falcon, uh, and everybody protests. Falcon tries to escape, but Cap stops him. Uh, Nick Fury shows up and he's like, I got this. Nick Fury shows up and is like, Dad, walking in and being like, what in the actual hell is going on? And they're like, no, he's he's the bad guy. I do not give a shit. Sit down, I'm going to yell at you for 45 minutes. And that's... I guess what happened. Meanwhile, yeah. Falcon Layla comes in, is released by Falcon or by the Shield goons. Layla comes in and is like, "So, what are we doing?" And she's like, "You're gonna go," or he's like, uh, "I think you're gonna go home, and I'm gonna go to jail." And she's like, "Okay, uh, I love you. I'll see you in a minute." And <laughs> yeah, leaves. Yeah. Uh, I, so Cap and Fury assure Falcon that they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna back you to the hilt. It's gonna be okay. Um, so we get a few things of like Iron Man talking to the, to the press on behalf of the Avengers saying, look, we know Falcon. Uh, we have no doubt that he will be found, uh, to have changed. It's gonna be okay. Uh, Falk's a good guy. That's our official statement on the matter. Blah, blah, blah. Snap's old boss, Jazz, uh, hires, set a, takes out a marker on, not, not a marker, takes out a hit. Yeah. God. I, I fucked up my mob lingo. Takes out a hit on Falcon, uh, which... Involves Stiltman, because things just haven't gotten pathetic enough. Um, So Stiltman's on his way when he comes across Trapster. And he's like, give me all your shit. And Trapster's (laughs) like, okay, let me down. And uh, he's like, whatever. And leaves. Um, 
Falcon is getting ready to testify when Stiltman attacks. Cap and Falcon take on Stiltman, and Stiltman, of course, loses, because Stiltman loses against a guy who's kind of blind. Uh, and uh, when it's all said and done, the uh, the judge is like, okay, well, I'm ready to hand down my sentence. Obviously, you're guilty. I mean, duh. He's like, but it's okay. You, uh, Nick Fury is going to be your parole officer. Just, uh, you know, report to him and, uh, we won't have any problems because you've obviously changed and blah, blah, blah. And so Falcon, hooray, Falcon's not going to prison for now. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Uh, but he's not going to jail for this specific thing. Today. Uh, yeah. I feel like we could burn through Master of Kung Fu number 26 real quick. 26 and 27, though. Well, 27 we may have to do after the... We may have to take a break and then do, but 26 I feel like we could knock out. Yeah, because it's mostly set up. Yeah. So this is written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Keith Pollard, inked by Sal Trapani, colored colored by George Russos, and lettered by Charlotte Jetter. Uh, Sir Dennis Nayland Smith is talking to a friend who had a dream about a woman who showed up and was like, you will find the golden beetle of the pharaoh set Amon. Um, She leaves him a ring. He finds it the next morning. Smith is like, you've encountered uh, the daughter of Fu Manchu. I've been there. She really has a knack for controlling men. Um, She nearly destroyed me. Don't let her do it to you. The guy's like, fuck you. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to find the thing I've always looked for. And Smith is like, no, dude, just don't, just don't let me handle it. We've been looking for her dad. You know, we're equipped to handle it. Um, Fu Manchu, it turns out, is at the next table. Uh, And then when Shang-Chi arrives, the entire restaurant explodes into assassins. Because always. Um... Fu Manchu can never and get a bite to eat. It's always assassins. Shang-Chi, you mean? Yeah, sorry. Shang-Chi can never get a bite to eat. It's always assassins from Hell Yeah, everywhere. Like, Shang-Chi could be in a massage parlor trying to get a happy ending, and it'll be full of assassins. He'll pick up a newspaper, and it's just <laughs> assassins. He'll, like, he'll do the most basic things, and it's just, like, assassins. Um... Although, I okay, I swear so, it would be it would be one of those things like Shang Chi could visit someone he's known his entire life, and then it would just be like I'm an assassin. Um, so I, I <coughs> he he essentially or it's a pretty good fight. He ends up taking down all the assassins. Blah blah blah. At the end of it, uh, this friend of I think he's got a good point. Okay, this friend of Dalen Smith is like okay. So, let me get this straight. You were telling me that you were going to protect me from Fu Manchu when you didn't know Fu Manchu was at the next fucking table? No, man. I think I got a better handle on this than you do. Bye. And he leaves. Which, yeah. Can't argue. (laughs) Can't argue with that. Uh, Shang-Chi has a brief flashback to meeting his sister once. uh, When... uh, it's really weird because he brings her in and he's just like hey by the way this is your sister 
And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go in the other room and let you get acquainted. And she's just like, you know, you might want to kill dad one day. And Shang-Chi's like, what? And she's like, no, trust me. Like, it's going to happen. And that's pretty much it. So the upshot of all of this is we are all going after the the pyramid where this thing is. Um, Everybody gets there. They find the um they find the golden beetle whose eyes are it's got these rubies for eyes and this is going to allow falusu yeah uh to um to control men even more completely than she does now uh the upshot of all of this is the pyramid explodes the friend dies because of Falosu's poison lipstick. Fu Manchu gets away, and Smith and Shang-Chi are just like, okay, did she die in the pyramid? We don't know. Ha. Spoiler alert, she didn't, because some bullshit happened. But I feel like that should be this week's episode title. Just some bullshit happened. <laughs> um... But anyway, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with the last issue of this week. All right. Bioware games, instead of making them try to do shit that is so obviously outside their wheelhouse. Right. But, yeah. Anyway. I don't know why I said it that way. That's probably really bad on the ears. <laughs> Whatever. Um, we're back, and we're going to do the last Master of Kung Fu. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Master of Kung Fu, number 27, is penciled by John Bashima, inked by Frank Springer, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, so, Shang-Chi knocks over a television antenna uh, because... Apparently his his vengeance is so important that uh that you know the people of New York will fucking well be denied the new episode of BJ and the Bear. Um but he uses it to make his way to Fu Manchu's headquarters. He busts it. he does this thing, I don't really understand it. So he he Puts a rope on the antenna, climbs down it, and then swings in and smashes through a window. Um, and then, like, he... I don't know. The, the thing about it is it seems... The way it's presented is a little confusing, because it seems like he goes down to the bottom floor... Gets off the elevator, then gets back on the elevator long enough for a security guard to see him. And I'm like, why, why'd you do that, bro? But whatever. Um, <clears throat> it turns out that the whole reason he is he has such a narc on for Fu Manchu at this exact moment is because he was just out in Times Square when a, when, I don't know, like a Hare Krishna comes up to him and is just like, have you heard the good word? And then suddenly the dude gets a knife in the back. Uh, 
the dagger has a dragon on it, and he re- Shang-Chi recognizes it as a weapon of the sea fan. So he kicks through this wall where Fu Manchu is talking to his council of seven uh, that are just general... I don't really know what point the Council of Seven served because if they're if they're advisors, they seem real quick to jump up and try and kill Shang Chi using their like martial arts mastery, and it's just kind of like, so are they both like who's? I feel like there may be some delegation involved. If this if these are his advisors. Bring in the underlings. Let them fight Shang-Chi rather than risking the people you rely on to make decisions. But whatever. Uh, so Fu Manchu is talking about his daughter and how she found the uh, ruby eyes of Sedamon. Uh, it turns out she did survive. Big shock. Because some bullshit happened. And uh, then she has started recruiting... Fan assassins to work for her. Uh, Shang-Chi tosses the dagger into the... Like, throws the dagger into the table. And he's like, you killed an innocent man. And uh, at that point... was like, yeah, it's Tuesday? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like being mad that Fu Manchu killed a dude. Like, I'm not saying human life isn't precious. Um, I mean, it's not. But... (laughs) (laughs) No, um, but like, by the same token, being mad that Fu Manchu killed a guy, you're always just going to have a serious narc on. Like, you can't be making stupid mistakes like this just because he killed a guy or you'll be making stupid mistakes all the time. But, uh, so the, the Council of Seven attack and he fights them and it's an interesting fight. Like the way he... The way he uses his environment and their attacks against each other is all very cool. And yeah. this is one of the things I really like about Shang-Chi is even when the story is really fucking stupid, the battles are well choreographed. Right. Um, but he deals with the Council of Seven and Fu Manchu is just like, okay, well, come on. And so he takes him into his lab and he's like, look, the person who killed this whatever random guy you're upset about. It wasn't one of mine. I mean, it doesn't matter that it was or wasn't because I don't care about the guy, but you're mad at me for something I didn't even do. So whatever. I like it. Was, it, it was, it's really, it, he's, I actually like this whole back and forth here. Well, it's not even really a back and forth. It's mostly just Shang-Chi becoming varying levels of mad at the things that are coming out of Fu Manchu's uh, monologue. For his... For what it's worth, though, like, Fu Manchu makes a compelling argument in in this. Like, at least to himself. And is like, look, here's the deal. I didn't even kill that guy. Don't even know what you're talking about. Also... Uh, the entire nature of our relationship has changed because you've now taken actions against me that I can't ignore. I'm, he pretty much is like, you're no longer my son. Um, I will be only refer, I will only be engaging with you as an enemy from now on. Uh, this is the last conversation we're having as father and son. As such, 
I think you should know my perspective on all of this, which is uh, you have goals and I have goals and there is no good and evil here. I, I am just at... I am searching to get something accomplished so that I can... It's basically the I'm trying to bring world peace around kind of argument. Right. And you might not like my methods. And you know what? I can kind of see your point. Uh, a lot of people die the way that I do it. But a lot of people are going to die if I don't. And th- there's some fallacy there, right? But who cares? Uh, I'm probably doing a... Ba- it, the, the, the monologue is much better than I'm giving... Than the way that I'm pointing it no, out. No, it's a, it's a good... This is a good example of how to write villainous dialogue. Yeah. A good villain can lie with the truth. Right. A good villain... Good villains are not gibbering lunatics, okay? The Joker may be fun, but he's not a particularly engaging villain from the standpoint of this whole... Like, the Joker works as a force of nature, but he's not a good villain. Yeah. Because... Sane Two-Face... You're never... Or half-insane Two-Face is a much better villain. Because he's going to, he has an agenda and he has, you know, your, your best villains are going to be the people, um, that their end goal seems reasonable and the things that they're saying make sense. When somebody's just like, I'm going to kill all the people because then the people won't be alive anymore. You're just kind of like, all right, but. You're clearly a Who dude. cares? I don't want that to happen. So bullet to the head. Yeah. Whereas an engaging villain, and this is one of those. This is one of those times like Fu Manchu has problems, but in yes. this in this spiel, he does a very good job at being at being a rational, pragmatic villain. Where he's just like, look, you have your goals, I have my goals. Those goals are incompatible. We are headed toward confrontation. The only way to stop that confrontation is for you to kill me or for me to kill you. That's all there is to it. And Shang-Chi's just like, I can't do it, and walks away. And so, um, you know, Shang-Chi walks away with a lot to think about. Um, and, uh, he says, he says something that is along the lines of, you know, I carry his words with me, um, you know, and, uh, I'm I'm going to carry them with me until I decide once again, my father has lied to me. Well, okay. So yeah, he says... Fu Manchu, the last thing he says is, but know this, nothing has changed between us. Nothing. And then he goes, the Ed, the narrative box, not narrative box, the internal monologue, monologue. box for Shang-Chi says, I carry his last words into the cold night, and I walk long into in their echo until I decide at last that once again, my father has lied to me. Which, right. that's a good couplet, like, to yeah. tie this story off, because everything's changed between the two of them. Like he 
the decision Shang Chi made at the very end of this story is to not kill his father because that's not his mission. His goal is to kill. He wished to slay his evil. He wishes to slay evil, not his father. Mm-hmm. And which means that Fu Manchu has successfully he won without throwing a punch. Mm-hmm. He beat Shang Chi by convincing him that he was not evil, right? Mm-hmm. Incarnate, like which is. The way Shang-Chi came in was, my father is evil and I'm going to slay him. And right. now he's convinced him that those are two different ideas and you can't have both. Uh, right. Or you can't... Yeah, kind of. Um, and he... So Fu Manchu won at the end of the yeah. story. And it's and then, really cool. Uh, this is probably this is, the best issue of the sorry. week. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. And I, I think the thing that works about their relationship is the fact that Fu Manchu twists Shang-Chi around so much. You know, he's gone from... Uh, he's gone from, my father is in the right and my father does what he needs to do to save the world, to my father is evil and he is the problem, or he is, he is the reason the world is not right to now maybe it's not as black and white as I thought it was and that's ordinarily that's a moment that would be a maturation but in fact all it is is just Fu Manchu fucking with his head some more yeah and so it works really well um and again I'm starting. I'm starting to get why people had such a massive hard on for Shang Chi. Uh, if if every if everything Shang Chi related was like this, I there are I could wholeheartedly be on board. With of this. the issues that we've read, there have been a couple <laughs> of stories that I'm like, okay, damn. Mm-hmm. Like once you move past some of the other things, right? Like, well, not move. Once you accept some of the stereotypical nonsense as what it is and right. where it came from and like what the source material was even before now and all of that, once you accept that and are like, okay, this is bad, but you look at the way that the actual stories are structured in some of these and you can go, but I think at the right hands, this whole thing could be bad as hell. Like, yeah. And. Uh, it, it gave me the point to the point that I think it was either while I was reading this week's issues or the previous week's issues that I started thinking to myself, you know, that Shang-Chi movie sounded like a really terrible idea three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it's less, you know, if you did, if you Black Panthered it, essentially just all Asian creative team and go, I think... Mm-hmm it would be neat. Um, I think their potential is there. The potential is really there. Um, Yeah. 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 Which is not, which is not something I mean, like I've seen my only exposure up until now to Shang-Chi has been stuff like uh, his appearances in the Hickman run of Avengers uh, I recently read Domino, the Gail Simone 
uh-huh. domino book uh and he's in that and that's pretty interesting um <clears throat> i mean so there's there's two parts to shang chi's appearances in domino one is the fact that domino is sopping wet for him and i'm just kind of like all right whatever but the other part of it is she's like trying to learn from him how to deal with certain things and it's interesting in that regard uh so yeah i'm kind of interested i don't know time's gonna tell on this one whether shang chi becomes the next thor for me yeah um or not uh it's definitely looking like he could um so yeah and uh which is really interesting for a book that doesn't feel like this is gonna come out weird but maybe it'll make sense it doesn't feel like the company the pub you know the the editorial staff have a lot of trust in this book like it's more like eh, let them do whatever they want over there um Mm -hmm. i'm sure it'll be fine or whatever it just Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like they have a lot of confidence in the book and it's still badass when it's badass when it like the what 24 or whatever we read first was 25 was not but this one's awesome yeah the the first book this week had the the fight scenes that were worthwhile and that was about it this it's like okay like some really interesting character stuff has happened Mm -hmm. and uh i'm kind of on board so anyway top five top five The Watcher's Guide's Top 5. Top 5. Alright, so, number 5. Fury showing up like an angry dad at the end of Captain America, the Cap run. Just what the hell is going on in here? You, get in my office. You, get out of here. You, let that lady go. What are we doing? This is not a gulag. This is an airship. Get her down the ground. Everybody else, go save the world, please. Thank you. Um, <laughs> number four. Uh, Nayland Smith's friend at the beginning of 26 uh, being like, he was at the other fucking table. No, I think I got this on my own. Thank you. And even Smith has to be like, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of whiffed that. <laughs> and it really makes you go, "What kind of goddamn outfit are you running, man?" <laughs> uh, number <clears throat> number three is uh, the fight with the Council of Seven because it was probably the best fight of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm going to stand by that. Uh, number two is the handling of uh, Sharon and Dave because. Yeah. Even though it's kind of an ancillary thing, it's not completely vestigial. Like, I need to know what's going on with Karen. Or not Karen. Sharon. Sharon. Because it's going to be important for Steve at some point. But also, like you said, it's just... I was... The whole time I was being ready to hate... Ever since he was introduced, I was being 
I was getting ready to be like, all right, when is Dave going to make a move and be a dick? And uh, Dave saw it coming and was like, you know what? No. And just yeah. stepped out of it. And uh, I, I can appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, though, is Fu Manchu wins at the end because... I mean, the whole conversation between him and Shang-Chi is awesome, but just that last bit where... Or the last parts of that conversation where she, he finishes explaining to him that you you can't... You can slay evil or you can kill your father. If you do both, or, or you do both, like, these are... These aren't, you know... These are non-compatible ideas, I guess. Right. And uh, he he wins, and mm-hmm. without throwing a punch, and it's pretty badass. Um, I don't know what the repercussions of that will be. It doesn't really feel like there's going to be a lot, but um, just because of the way comic books work. But it's still a really right. badass moment. So yeah, that's me. So this uh, this week is apparently mostly going to be us agreeing. Uh, number five is Dave. Okay. Dave was surprisingly good. Uh, way to go, Dave. Number four, uh, Beast proving why he belongs on the Avengers. Right. Uh, number three was the fight against the Council of Seven because it was really well choreographed. Um, Everything made makes, sense, right? It was... Yeah, and also it was it was a good. This is something that Jackie Chan does really well in his fights, in his movies. Is it's not just kick, kick, punch, punch, blah, blah, blah. There's also a lot of environmental stuff, uh-huh. and that's one thing that is in this fight that it works for me. Yeah. <clears throat> Number two. Wow, I must be being rewarded for being a good person. Excuse me, um, my house seems to be burning. Man, <laughs> this is a whole new day. I, I'm my, such a good person that I'm being rewarded by having my curse downgraded a little bit. My, Sir, my, my all of my possessions are burning. <laughs> I'm so great. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, yeah, uh... Yeah, I enjoyed that. Immensely. If you got to pull something from Ghost Rider, that that's got to be it. Just, yeah. Okay, maybe my life will get back to normal, and I can get back to Roxanne, sir. Please, sir, can you get out of the phone booth at least? Like, we need to get to that phone. <laughs> I need to call the fire department before my entire life is burnt to a crisp. Um, yeah. Hey, hey, stuntmaster, how it's how's it going? Yeah. But yeah. sir, sir, sir. No, I I missed that episode. What happened? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Please, sir, I need yeah, the phone. Phone. You are being really rude right now. <laughs> I'm trying to catch up with a friend. So then what did she say? Uh-huh. Oh, I knew it. That bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like Uh and the number one is yeah, the the um the fact that Fu Manchu, even though even though Shang Chi knows who Fu Manchu is now, even though uh, 
even though Shang-Chi, the scales have fallen from his eyes somewhat, and he knows the things his father gets up to, Fu Manchu is still able to wreck Shang-Chi's world just by being like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not how it works, kid. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so this next week we have, uh, let's see, uh, we've got some Black Goliath. So that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first two issues of Inhumans, some amazing Spider-Man, some Morbius, it seems like. Hooray. Uh, and some bits and bobs here there, we, here and there. We've got one more issue of Master of Kung Fu. Um, but yeah, so uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us both individually and at Watcher's Guide MU. Um, Email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. So that is it for us. Have a marvelous week. Bye.